All right, and I'm just going to start with this sound here real fast, okay? Okay. Just listen real careful. Did you hear that? I don't know what that was. Did that that sounded almost like a <laughs> like a flame? Were you lighting something? That was me lighting a match to light a candle. Oh. Because what we are about to do is sacred work. Welcome to Redundant, the totally original Green Day podcast. Today, we're talking about the godfather of them all, the godfather motherfucker of them all, American Idiot. Oh my gosh. I, I cannot even explain how excited I am for this. This is absolutely Green Day's best album. Uh, before opinion. we get too much into it, a uh, little unbridled enthusiasm <laughs> there, but I think, you know, a little context is needed. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. just going to say for my part, my name's Chris Brady Denton. I'm a massive Green Day fan. Not only am I that, I'd say I'm second wave. I am an American idiot era Green Day fan. I mean, how, would you, how would you describe yourself? I would what describe they- myself as, as number one. I, I, I hate to say this almost, but I'm an American idiot fan. And number two, I'm a, I'm a massive Green Day fan. But man, American Idiot really is is so important. Yeah, it's an important difference. I agree. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Hmm, I wonder if I'm the same. I don't think I am, but, but I understand <laughs> that that American Idiot is like the the Bible. It is. It's weird. It yeah. I almost feel You're, guilty it's basically about saying it. But. I'm a Christian or saying the Bible's my favorite book. <laughs> You're basically True. saying, I like American Idiot, but I, you know, and I'm a Green Day fan, fine, but mm-hmm. like American Idiot, yeah. that's the good shit. It is, it is, though. Well, we could be buttering American Idiot's balls all day long, we could. but we're, you know, we're not going to get anywhere doing that, uh, <laughs> you know, at least not at this time. But mm-hmm. first of all, it's, let's, let's not be rude. Let's check in with each other. It was a big week. There were some holidays it going was, on. Yeah. Families get together. Uh, Colin Brady, of course, over there, my co-host, is yeah. my cousin. We are family. You might be wondering, did we get together over the holidays? No, you know, most most years we would have done done that, I think. But, um, you know, this year just it wasn't meant to be, you know, work no. schedules, holiday schedules, whatever. I, I really enjoy Colin in about hour, hour and a half spurts over mm-hmm. the phone. Yeah, no, I've learned that but four hours straight, you know, in person that can really wear on a dude for sure. We love each other is nothing to do with us. It is, and it's not your fault, the audience. I don't want you to feel like it's your fault. But we just decided this Thanksgiving. Perhaps let's take a year off. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. not see each other. We'll just we'll talk over the podcast. Yeah, and let's not we burden don't... the listeners with all that all that irritating jabber. Yeah, I think, you know? no, no, no. We're not going to do it. We were gonna we were gonna record our Thanksgiving meal together, talking about Green Day, <laughs> with our entire family. But then thought, mm-hmm. you know what? Yeah, listeners don't want that. Yeah, yeah, no, nobody wants that really, other than us. Um, well, people always think we are together. They think we're in a professional podcast studio. They we do. are not. We're not. Surprise, we're surprise. Not. Yeah. And then over the holidays, they think we're together. They think that we're going to be dining uh, our Thanksgiving feast mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. out of each other's mouths. Yeah. But we are not. Colin. That is very foolish to think. How are things in Seattle? I actually boated my, I ferried my way over, I should say, to Bainbridge Island, um, a few miles uh, west. West. Yes, definitely west. Okay, these. I'm just warning you. I'm, 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 I'm not pulling a boring card, but it is halfway out my vest. Oh okay? my god, you don't even give me fucking like ten seconds. You're, Chris. Okay, I, but you start talking about miles, the space between things. No yeah. one cares about the distance between two objects. Okay, okay. Well, I was over at Bainbridge. I had a great Thanksgiving. It's beautiful. 
It was, I had a great Thanksgiving. Yeah. I had a great Thanksgiving. You know, I had a I had a delicious meal. I hung out with your mom quite a bit, actually. Had a great time. And she sent me photos. She I heard. Like, I heard. Me yeah. with your co-host. <laughs> I was the tour guide. I was the the Seattle tour guide slash Bainbridge slash whatever. Out of love for my mother. Mm-hmm. Out of love for my mother. I'm going to have to say that that's a very great story. I'm so glad you had fun. Oh, you. Nothing boring about it at all. Happy holidays. You Thank, liar. I'm thankful you for you. You liar. I swear it was interesting. I swear. Well, Chris. No, it's, it does sound great. I challenge you, as, as I always do, to, to have a more interesting story. And, I mean, in every challenge I rise to, I would say, um, this year's no different. This week's no different, I should say. It's, I have a similar, I, I didn't have a big Thanksgiving uh, excursion or anything like that. I didn't even get to see my mom. This guy, my co-host, wow. my cousin, he stole my mom. Poor guy. Oh. Uh, no, but I had, I had Thanksgiving uh, in Anaheim. I'd say it's probably, what, about uh, maybe 40, 50 miles outside of L.A.? Um, miles? Know, how far do you what? think? Yeah, how many? How far do you think LA is from Anaheim? Aren't they like the same city, really? Like, uh, no, but Colin locals. No, uh, I just, oh I'm really God. curious about the distance oh between these two things. You uh, LA, I, you, know what? you LA douchebags. Jesus, come I guess on. people don't care about the distance between two things. In any, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was just down here. It was no big deal. But I just, I noted something that I kind of want to. If I could coin a term, if it's not already been coined, mm-hmm. is is the Thanksgiving paradox. And I noticed this every single year, and I and I finally like I think figured out a way to put words to it. I think it is the Thanksgiving paradox, mm-hmm. and it's maybe why I have a hard time with Thanksgiving overall. And it, and what it is is essentially all day you prepare food. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. day you fantasize about stuffing your face with yes. said food, yes. right? And and you're like, "Fuck it. Heck, I might even skip breakfast to make sure I'll be extra hungry." I, I did that. Right? Absolutely. I, yeah. That yeah. that's like there's like there's like strategies cuz you want to be able to like indulge fully mm-hmm, in the Thanksgiving mm-hmm. feast. Yeah. And then the minute the second you're done with that meal, you are just disgusted with yourself. Yeah. Because you've got gravy paste and mashed potatoes running through your veins. Mm-hmm. And you not only elected to do this to yourself, yeah. you also put an inordinate amount of time, effort, and money into making Thanksgiving happen. True. true. And this depresses you, so you get drunk to compensate <laughs> and wake up feeling even worse. And I, you know, generally, this is kind of the warm up, this is universally known as the training. For the coming holidays. You know, it really depresses me that you're saying this just because, like, I, I think that Thanksgiving really is the most important holiday, I would say. You know, I was, I was ranking this recently with, some, with, with people and uh, thought that Thanksgiving, as far as, like, what you're celebrating, you know, don't you think that is the most important holiday you have? Is, and you're saying that because you're seeing family and having good food, and it's not about this material. Yeah, but, like, but more even just... Just what it means, though, really. Because, like, Christmas is like, you know, this, let's be real, this guy who maybe lived 2,000 years ago and maybe did blah, 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 blah. (laughs) And I'm not saying he didn't. I'm just saying he maybe did, you know? That's all. Well, and then. So here's what I'll say. You know, I mean, maybe, (laughs) maybe the pilgrims made a nice meal for the Native Americans before they killed them all. Or, you know, maybe that's all white people, you know, publicity. And, yeah, and no, that's fair. That's revisionist fair. history. That is so. an accurate, that is an accurate rebuttal. I would all accept that. But. <laughs> but So happy Thanksgiving, everyone, to you and yours. <laughs> Let's get back to something that's, that's cheery. 
Mm-hmm. We got to keep up with all of that Green Day news. That sticky, icky shit. I was cleaning up after uh, some some Thanksgiving leftovers. I admit it. I did eat leftovers. Sue me. Mm-hmm. Not every meal is made just for me at that moment. And my phone notified me that Green Day had released a brand new holiday single. Did they? X Xmas time of the year. Oh my gosh. I don't think I saw this actually. I'm, I'm very excited. I freaked out. I was like, drop everything. Listen to it right now. <laughs> it was there on Spotify. And as it turns out, this is a Christmas single that they released in 2015. Okay. They just dropped it randomly and then they just now uploaded it to streaming sites. So that was the announcement. It was just re-released. Oh, okay. Interesting. But God damn, do I... Blech. I do not care for this song one bit. Oh, really? Oh, shoot. Okay. Wow. It is, it's so dis... And I think maybe this is the dichotomy or the uh, the challenge of being a Green Day fan in this day and age is wrestling with how much you love them at their peaks mm-hmm. and learning to live with them at their not-so-peaks. At their lows, their valleys. Yeah. Yeah. And I listening to this song, I felt like, God damn, I have to talk about this during American Idiot Week. Oh, no. I don't want to have to revisit this during the greatest album. Is of it theirs, really that this... bad? Explain. Just describe to me what it is. What it is. You know, what's okay. Going on. For one, the doing a Christmas song. If you're not the killers and you're doing a Christmas song, get the hell out of here. I just I think it's a bad look. So many people do not celebrate Chris. I don't know. I just think it outs you as kind of a commercialist fuck. And why are the, why do the killers have a pass on this? I don't understand. Every year they, or at least they used to in the heyday, every year the killers released a Christmas <laughs> single. And the killers are so weird. And they were so odd and charming. It was like Las Vegas Christmas. Are they though? For, are they though? For some, well, no, their Christmas singles are. That's what I'm saying. Their Christmas singles are so odd. Don't Shoot Me Santa, Great Big Sleigh. I don't know. There's something, they get a pass for me. You know, fair enough, fair enough, yeah. Green Day does not get a pass. I I at least felt better knowing that this was from 2015 and not from 20, because if this was a decision they made this year, I would have been very upset. I was like, (laughs) this better not be on the new album. Fuck. I I haven't listened to it yet, so I don't don't know for sure, but I imagine that I'm really not going to like it if you disliked it that much but it, it does bump me out it is the furthest from green day that i ever feel listening to a green day song oh god that yeah. said it will be on every single one of my holiday playlists a green day doing a christmas song <laughs> will at least make there be some bearable christmas music yeah out of um, duty still a fan really. yeah. but you know it's don't do it anymore it's mm-hmm. not a good idea oh gosh but okay. colin that's that's too much negativity that's not what this <laughs> week is about right I mean, I hope so, yeah. Sometimes when I talk about the holidays, there's just too much negativity. You've made that week about this, clearly. But, you know, yeah, we'll we'll work through it. We'll work through it. I think, I think we can climb ourselves back. And the first way we can get ourselves back is mm-hmm. by remembering way back when. Oh, gosh. And I'm talking about another edition. I'm sorry to be throwing it at you twice, but we got to do it for this album. This is our famous segment, Where Were You? Where Were You? Where were you? This is our 2004 slash 05 edition. So Chris, Chris, where were you? Where were you? Uh, 2004, I think, what, September? Where were you? That's right. September 2004 is when American Idiot was released. I was, uh, I believe, entering fifth or sixth grade. Might have been fifth grade, kind of beginning of the school year. I really didn't become aware of it until February. As I'd mentioned, I believe in our first episode talking about kind of our Green Day history, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. first time Green Day really blew my mind was that Grammy performance, which was February 2005. That's where they performed American Idiot. And it was their kind of the first big national debut of their red 
tie, black shirt, uniforms. Mm-hmm. And their whole, this, their yeah, whole act, sort of. Yeah. Green Day 2.0. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I just remember, I remember 2005 very fondly. Um, I used to, and maybe still do, consider it one of like my favorite years that I lived. I was very happy in Oh in my gosh, grade. really? Yeah, I really remember, I remember it very fondly. Because okay. in one year, in 2005... I got Green Day. I discovered Green Day. Yeah, uh, really. And yeah. and I, as I said, I got American Idiot, and it became my entire identity. <laughs> it did. Um, uh, yeah. I just wanted to dress like Billy Can Joe, confirm, and everything yeah. was, was Green Day. Mm-hmm. And then the other music I liked was as a result of American Idiot and Green Day. That had massive effects on me. Um, Star Wars Three came out, which I to me I'm oh, I'm gonna no. take some heat on this. I'm a prequel boy. You're a prequel boy, Chris. No. I'm a prequel boy. I was a little oh, kid when the prequels came out. They were marketed specifically to me. They were. So like, but don't like, act like I'm crazy for tra- falling for can it. You, can't you see trash when you see it? Uh, yeah, I, I saw the new Disney films, and I agree. Yeah, oh my trash. God. At least they're better than the prequels. At least they're better than the prequels. But as long as George Lucas is in the seat, I'm there. This is not the Star Wars podcast. This is a Green Day <laughs> podcast. All I was trying to say uh, before these freaking cinephile douches hopped up all over me <laughs> is 2005 was green day star wars 3 and legos released star wars 3 legos and i was and still am to an extent uh, a, a lego man um okay a minifig okay. if you will and in that same year i developed my first crush so it was just it was Aww. such a huge year for me it was big i was playing with toys but i was developing crushes i was listening to pop punk alternative music mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know uh kicking ass in sixth grade so damn that is that is quite the story. I I I'm excited. It's not really, but but it was mine. I mean, honestly though, like it really it really harkens back. Yeah, um, I think it does and it's you can probably if hear me saying that you go, "Oh, of course you like American Idiot." It was like it's uh, reflective of a time in your life. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's sensible. It's sensible. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But that enough no. about my my silly ass Colin. Where were you? Mm-hmm. You know, I was probably I was probably just coming back from Nepal at this point. Um I think you were actually the first person who introduced me to Green Day. Yeah, I remember just like getting super into Holiday in particular. I don't know why, yeah. but I think that that guitar that guitar solo was just like killed for me. And yeah, I don't know. Past that, like I wasn't doing a whole lot. You know, we uh, we just moved to Santa Barbara. How old were you about? I was probably like ten or eleven. Wow. I think. Yeah, ten. And think and 10. so you were ten, eleven, moving back to the United States. How many countries had you lived in mm-hmm. in your childhood? Just in your first ten years of life. I I think like. Three or four, four probably. Yeah. What name them? Um, Malawi, Bolivia, uh, Nepal, and and the U.S. You know. Yeah. Dang. California, California. Yeah. You know the Thank proper you. Republic of California. You know you got to identify. Yeah. Back to your exposure. I remember being so as excited about Green Day, having kind of just discovered them myself, that I just wanted mm-hmm. to share and share and share with anyone who would listen. And and it was, yeah, so of course it was so cool reconnecting. You had moved back to the states, and we had you know we'd see each other over holidays, and and whatnot. Yeah, but it wasn't super frequent or anything though. Yeah, yeah, we weren't, and we weren't really. I'd say that close at the time, just because we didn't know each other. Of course, and we're both yeah, ten, yeah. so with the, who the fuck cares? But yeah, honestly, this was I. Now that you, now that you bring it up, this is really the start to our like close relationship. I would say. I, isn't that crazy? You're yeah, right. I didn't even really. think about that. Yeah, uh, like yeah, it, I think so. The foundations are in Green Day. I think so, honestly. Wow. It's, it's hilarious to say that, but I think that is almost true. It's not almost true. It is. We true. don't even like each other that much, but we both like Green Day so much. I know. We're forced we're forced to at this yeah. point, you know, yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's I mean, it's kind of beautiful. It's kind of a beautiful discovery that we're both here now all these years later to discuss mm-hmm. 
the seed that grew into the tree that is our <laughs> friendship and co-hosting. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, we're probably already, you know, 15 minutes in, and this is going to take us a full, you know, 12 hours probably. <laughs> and that's a really good point, Colin. It is time for our album of the week. And with that comes a little prelude, I would say. If, yeah. this, if the whole past 20 minutes hadn't been a prelude. But basically, there is so much dense information on this album. This album was huge. It's numerous publications. I mean, everyone and their grandmother like wrote an article about this album. It's absurd, yeah. So going through, and, and we don't like to go long. We don't want to make this a two-parter. We just want to talk about the album that we love so much and kind of why we love it. That's what I'm excited yeah. about. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of technical information out there you can find on this album. It's not because it's not out there, like with some of these other albums. But frankly, just in for the sake of brevity and you know being able to stand it ourselves, we're just kind of, we pulled stuff <laughs> and want to talk about stuff that like we care about, the human element of American Idiot. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's what I'm really excited about. So without further ado, let's hop into the facts about the album of the week. We're talking American Idiot 2004. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I guess let's just start with uh, where Green Day is at the, at the time. You know, Warning just came out. 2000. And was pretty underwhelming as far as, you know, sales go. Critical reception is positive for the most part, but still not, you know, glowing. And so Green Day is sort of in the point where, like, it's a do-or-die type situation, you know? I mean, I think they took a little break. I was reading that they had, they were really at each other's throats uh, for a lot mm -hmm. of this time, that they were actually not getting along. Yeah, I, I was surprised to hear that. Um, I was reading that, you know, Trey and, and Mike were actually feeling kind of annoyed at Billy for not taking more input on the songs. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. the just kind of classic band stuff, but stuff that you wouldn't think would be happening to Green Day. These were our guys. I know. Our Oakland trio. You thought they were like glue. They're already seven albums in. It yeah. seems like they would have face these issues at some point yeah but and, and, and that is another good point they are seven albums i think it is surprising to think they've already done more albums at this point than most bands get to do at all mm -hmm. and it definitely is time for a reinvention and and they could feel that and i think you know a lot of that was billy is is feeling afraid to show his bandmates these very vulnerable songs he's been writing and mm -hmm. at the same time his two bandmates are kind of annoyed at billy and going you need to let us into your process or we don't yeah. feel like bandmates anymore so they, as a result, they took a break after uh, yeah. uh, several kind of tours and, and these kind of side releases, and, and it wasn't clear if they were coming back. And I'm really glad that they, uh, they, they pushed this on Billy, because I think it's very clear once you, you listen to the album that um, the drums and the bass had a much more uh, significant impact, I guess, on, on the listener than they would in the past. I completely um, agree, yeah. Yeah, it's so obvious. They're really working in sync, yeah, mm -hmm. all three of them. Before mm -hmm. they got to American Idiot, though, they, they did decide to get back together and start recording an album that would be eventually called Cigarettes and Valentines. This was to be the follow-up to Warning. And um, Cigarettes and Valentines was a... I don't know. You don't. I don't know a lot of info about the recording process of that album, actually. But um, I all I know is that it came out to uh, nothing. Basically, they the master tapes were stolen from the recording studio, and so Green Day heard they were stolen, and they're like, "Screw it! Like, let's let's start a new album." I I think what happens they they talk to Cavallo. Cavallo. Seriously, though, guys, it's Rob Cavallo. Can we grow up? And he said, was this your best work? And they were like, no, it was not. And so they decided, screw it. Let's start a new album. 
which I, I think is really cool, actually. I love that. And, and what I heard was that apparently they did recover the tapes shortly thereafter. Mm. And, and so some of mm-hmm. the cigarettes in Valentine's songs ended up being B-sides on American Idiot. And, mm-hmm. and, and certain parts of those songs did get reworked into other things later. But yeah, they've never officially released the album or you know revealed what the track list right. was or anything like that. Uh, but as you right. said, I, I, and I love Cavallo for saying, it's like, is this your best work, you know? Yeah. Frank, if you're serious about this, then to go write your best work. I think that is so cool. And it's another yeah, it's absolutely. a great push that they needed. So of course, as is legend, everyone knows now the result and, and that by the way, uh, retroactive, that's a bit of a fan cliche. Uh, everyone <laughs> everyone is, knows Cigarettes is. and Valentines was stolen and it resulted in them mm-hmm. writing American Idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they mm-hmm. took three months off. They stopped messing around in the studio and said, Let's just go write some really good songs. Billy took yeah. some time in New York to to figure some stuff out. And uh, yeah, I think the band came back stronger than ever, of course, resulting in American Idiot. It, you know, immediately became obvious was their finest work, I think, you know, and we'll and we'll we'll see as we go through it. Just looking at these singles, uh, um, people would just probably recognize these names just offhand is, is there was five of them. American Idiot. Let's count them down. Mm-hmm. American Idiot. Boulevard Broken Dreams. Holiday. Yes. Wake Me Up When September Ends. Jesus as suburbia. Yes, exactly. I think most people would recognize all five of those songs. I think that is probably true, which is a wild statement about any single one album. It really of any is. Kind, you know? And yeah, speaking, you know, just off the last one, the recording of uh, Jesus Suburbia, like the way they started recording this album, they um, decided each of them was going to write like 30 second, you know, minute long songs that were just, you know, whatever they felt like, basically. And they ended up stitching these songs sort of together and coming up with a few like really long, sweet type songs uh, called Jesus Suburbia and Homecoming. That's which right. Which were two of the big songs on their album. Biggest meaning yeah. lengthwise. They were huge. They're very long. Lengthwise, <laughs> yes. These are like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, nine, nine plus minute songs. Yeah, I think, and I think Homecoming was the first one to come together that way. But and then, mm-hmm. but yeah, and it, it, that opened up the door to all these other ideas that they play around with on the album of mm-hmm. the interconnectivity of of all the songs, physically or otherwise, just mm-hmm. thematically. Exactly. Critically, this album was was very well received. It won the Grammy Award for Best Rock Album in 2005, and it was on a lot of people's best uh, album of the decade, best of the year, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, one fact I thought was amazing was it remained on the top 10 of the Billboard 200 for a year following its release, staying on the chart for 101 weeks. I know. I thought that was crazy. Yeah. And that's that sort of goes along with what I heard like about this album in general is that it just it wasn't super, super popular right when it came out, but... It took, you know, within within the next year or so when it came out that, that people start to really latch on to it. I was a sleeper, right? And I think, you know, as I was saying, I, I mm-hmm. only got into it after the Grammys in 2005. Like, I think a lot of people were similar where they, they caught on slowly over the course of the year. So it was exactly. kind of this sleeper hit, yeah. even though it was huge, but it, it kept growing. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So it was it was a uh, super big deal in the early 2000s, I think. I mean, and a big part of that uh, has to be that it was it was reflective of the times, right? It was written. It was, yeah. To, uh, about, I mean, uh, the quote that everyone says is the punk rock opera. Exactly. Uh, but it's a concept album about uh, the war in Iraq and a lot of the political upheaval in the Bush administration um, mm-hmm. leading up to the mm-hmm. 2004 election. Yes. Which obviously that didn't quite work out, but the album's quite good. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I'll say that right now, you know, like that is the reason that this is my favorite album of all time is that it is simultaneously just a good story. It uh, connects with everyone. And then at the same time, it is also a good story for the time, you know, early 2000s. Mm. We're in the Iraq war and Afghanistan war. And yeah, it's just like this, this protest era, anti-Bush. I don't know. A lot of it just feels like it really connects, I think. Well, I think, uh, yeah, connected to that, Billy said that he had felt the desire to increase the amount of political content in his lyricism mm-hmm. as he grew into adulthood, noting that the climate surrounding his aging produced feelings of responsibility in the songs he wrote. Exactly. Um, exactly which I yeah. love is that he's, he's a parent now. You know, he's not as young as he once was. He's seeing the world with more adult eyes and, and being like, I have a real platform to to say something that could actually mean something. And and as we talked, he's been doing that a little bit before, but this is the most overt oh, uh, yeah. celebration of, of, of political rock. Uh, certainly, I'd say from this exactly, decade, yeah. this is probably one of the biggest protest albums. Oh, ever. it seems like it. One thing that I thought was really cool, the recording process of this album, is that they recorded each song in the order that they appear on the album. I, yes, I, I saw that as well, and it was super cool. I think that is amazing. What an emotional process. Yeah. So they're actually, mm-hmm. and that's what's so cool is I think in, in those three months they took off, they really sequenced the album, they demoed it out, they had it exactly right so that when they got into studio, they knew exactly what mm-hmm. they were doing. And that's different than what they've been doing, which is kind of goofing around mm-hmm. in studio and finding it there. Yes. And I, I think yeah. the more mature approach is to come into studio with your songs ready to go. I, I think that might be true. Yeah, I think that's true. But um, I think the story-wise, that, that probably influenced things quite a bit, you know? And I don't know how much it, it influenced them um, throughout the whole recording process, but I've seen a video, actually, of, of Billy and those guys recording What's Your Name right at the, the very end, which um, What's Your Name is the very last track of the album. That's right. And I see Billy just, he starts weeping. He starts to weep at the vi- at the end of this video. Like he is like so. He's crying. Uh, done. Yeah. He's so like, yeah, he's so like he's finished this album and it's like that sad for him, you know, which I think is really cute. But um, I, I totally get it because that song is super um, touchy, I think, yeah. in the right context. And, and it's the end of what such a momentous uh, accomplishment for him. It is. Because once they settled on the concept and the track list, they're like, oh, these are incredibly ambitious songs, and now we've got to make it all work together. Exactly, yeah. There's a lot to do there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then, yeah, then the recording process reminded me of how Steven Spielberg shot, I believe, Poltergeist in order, uh, so oh, that the, okay, which yeah. is something that is never done. They, you know, you shoot mm-hmm. uh, as, the, as is most cost-effective for production, so if you shoot at one location, and then at the end of the movie, you go back to the location. You're going to shoot everything, both the beginning and the end, you know, in the same time at that location because that's cost effective. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because the, there were children actors, he wanted to help them act the best they could, which was to go through the movie and shoot in order of the scenes. And and it's, it reminded me of Green Day doing that here with all their tracks. Interesting, yeah. That, that must have made, I don't know, the performances better, going through the emotional arc of the album, mm-hmm. that they wouldn't move on to the next song until they had finished completely every single overdub, every single edit that needed to be done to the song previous. Exactly, yeah. That is so cool to me. I think that's that's a respectable thing to do for sure. And they also did the, they similar to the Beatles, I guess, they decided to record guitar before the bass on this album. Yeah, I read that as well. And I think that's very interesting. I actually don't, I don't really know why that is actually. Chris, do you know? Like, I don't know what changes the recording process by doing that. You have your demo, you have your tracks, then you'll do the, usually either the bass or the drums first. Right, And then right. guitars, vo- you know, vocals last. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then it'll be mixed and everything. 
but you know, so everything's a reaction to the recording that comes before it. So I think okay. there must be, you know, if you're doing the bass tone and you get your bass down and then you're like, all right, we'll come in and bring the guitars. The guitars are going to be played against the bass. And so what I'm thinking is they wanted guitar led songs where the bass thing could play off the guitar. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 perhaps make makes for for allows the basses to be more playful. You can see the different spots where where mm-hmm. he or she, but in this case, he Mike can, you know, dance around and, and add yeah, more yeah. Uh, kind of counter melodies to the song and things like that. I could actually, yeah, I could see how that might be valuable because otherwise, you might be just you know the bass will just be playing the the um, root chords of this of the guitar, right. but otherwise, you might get to you know experiment a little exactly. bit exactly. And I think that yeah. actually works perfect because, as we've talked about, I think Mike is more of the musical savant as far as like a just a pure instrumentalist. He seems like it, yeah. So I, I, that makes sense to give him a little more uh, license to move around. For sure, yeah. This album is their second highest selling. It was with 16 million copies, not quite at Dookie's 20 million, but still very impressive. And yeah, what did we say was was a diamond? What was that? Yeah, that was diamond million? for for Dookie. And this, but this is 60. This was still a worldwide smash charted it in is. countless yeah. countries and it better have because this album cost uh $650,000. Oh my gosh, that is wild. And I I think that is probably um at least somewhat reflective in the amount of time it took. It, it looks like it took them almost a year exactly to actually record the album which as far as like punk rock records go, that is like an eternity. It is. And you know, yeah. a, a, a pardon me another fan cliche Everyone knows this story, but but the the line is that Billy had to schedule his recording sessions for vocals around his hangovers, so they were really partying hard during this time. Well, yeah, and I think Billy said something basically like that. That was almost certainly the case. Yeah, unfortunately, and, and and you know I think they're working really hard. They're spending long hours in the studio, and then they're drinking all night afterward. And that's exactly. kind of the, yeah. the consensus from everyone is it was living and breathing the album, but but also going way hard. The rock star lifestyle, mm-hmm. there was a lot of mm-hmm. stylistic changes in this album to Green Day's appearance. And I think a lot of that started with the album art. Wouldn't you agree? I was, yes. I was actually just about to bring up the uh, album art and how they were uh, put together by Chris Bilheimer, the same guy who... Once again. Again, again. Yeah, this guy is just infamous around Green Day circles. And he put together this album art based on uh, lyrics from She's a Rebel, which is... Uh, a song about halfway through this album and i think the lyric is what is it like and she's holding on my heart like a hand grenade thank you she's holding on my heart like a hand grenade and this is uh, in reference to what's her name holding on jesus suburbia's heart like that's a hand right grenade. two of the main characters exactly. from this album of course mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. I-, I read that uh chris bilheimer was inspired by all artist saul bass's poster for the 1955 drama film the man with the golden arm and if you take a mm-hmm. look at it, there's a very similar kind of cutout uh, hand, yeah. outstretched arm on that poster. Also, interestingly, I, and it's so cool to, to take a look into the mind of another type of professional because they just consider things that I never would. And, and Bill Heimer said about the color red on the album art, of course, it's holding this heart hand grenade <laughs> bleeding down the hand. He said that mm-hmm. red was the most overused color in graphic design, but felt that the immediate qualities of the color deemed it appropriate for use on the cover of the album saying i'm sure there's psychological theories of it being the same color of blood and therefore has the powers of life and death and as a designer i always feel it's kind of a cop-out so i never used it before but there was no way you couldn't use it on this cover 
And it was so funny. As I was thinking back, I was going, there really isn't any red on any of the other album art. It's that true. We talked about. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny, actually. Yeah. And and it's so true too. He's like, he's so right that this album has some of the most iconic, and by some of, I mean the most iconic um, Green Day album art there is. I Completely. Think. And it, it's so simple. It's like looks like it was cut out of like construction paper, but it's exactly perfect. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. It's the simplicity that makes it so iconic. Uh, you can draw it on a on your binder at school. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can get you get a cool pen of it. Everyone knows immediately what it is they're looking at. Exactly. And and then as far as you know that that so this is black and white uh, and red, kind of simplistic, punk rock image, and that affected the rest of the band. I'd say their entire aesthetic changed. I wouldn't say ob- it's obvious. Their entire aesthetic changed for this album cycle. Yeah, yeah. It was very it was very conscious. You could tell. You know. Yeah. Um, they began. Billy started we- wearing a red tie exclusively. Yeah. On top of you know black jeans and uh, button up, dyed black hair. And, uh, eyeliner. Chris, Chris was also Chris was also exclusively wearing this look. <laughs> was that right? That's yeah. And uh, <laughs> if Billy Joe had chosen a different costume, uniform, whatever you want to say during this period, who knows what I would look like today? Because True. what he chose was just like, okay, that's it. <laughs> Skinny black jeans. That's all I'm doing. You know, if I can get away with a black button shirt and a red tie, and do it. If not, just a button down black shirt but i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna yeah. be wearing some of my billy joe uniform at all times that was kind of the rule yeah, yeah stud belt at least and you killed it and you killed it let's let's not be let's not lie about it thanks you know? bro you you uh you rocked it well it was good you days um <laughs> a lot of this kind of uh punk new, new punk aesthetic i don't know how you want to describe it i'm sure there's a term but uh was kind of influenced by the director of uh the the direction of all these videos that they released that were huge at the time for American mm-hmm. Idiot, Boulevard Broken Dreams, Holiday, Jesus of Suburbia, Wake Me Up When September Ends. All of them had very yeah, iconic yeah. videos. Um, and they were mm-hmm. all directed by Samuel Bayer. Oh, I actually did not realize they're all the exact same guy. I didn't either until I was watching this little behind the scenes of the making of American Idiot video yesterday. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, I have to say, mm-hmm. uh, Samuel Bayer, Billy Joe seems to know it. His whole crew seems to know it. I, I, he seems to be a cunt and a half. He really seems to be a real <laughs> dickhole, but in, in a in a bad way. In, in in a, way. I would not want to work for him if you paid me, and you'd have to be paying me if it was a job. Oh shit! Um, oh shit! Okay. And kind of I don't know, just kind of like a trying really hard to be cool, but doing all this stuff that doesn't really make sense. Ugh. So I think the videos yeah, might have yeah. been saved in the edit, looking at the behind the scenes mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But but I have to credit where credit is due. He really did hone in on this aesthetic and make the videos feel like the right, band right, looked. Right. The edginess, sort of. And it and it, sir, it it carried the album in a huge way. I, I used to stay up with my sister on, and watch the VH1 videos every Sunday morning, and, and we'd wait for Green Day. Like Those videos were mm-hmm, huge. Mm-hmm. So yeah, even though I think yeah. he's a dick, I got to show some respect to Samuel Bear. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Sounds so now good. let's hop into the one by ones. Let's finally get to it. This is American Idiot. I'm going to give you one guess as the title of, of the track one. <laughs> yeah. It's American Idiot. Here we go. And and that riff leading to the drums and, and the rest of the band coming in just is a punch in the face in the best way. It's iconic. Yeah. I mean, this, this whole song's iconic. There's really not much else to say uh, i know it, it almost speaks for itself i think so many people yeah. recognize it know it you know when when trump went to the uk recently they they made it that american idiot was number one on the charts they just started buying mm-hmm. it just to so it's still such a symbol of fuck you america exactly yeah 
And obviously Billy didn't mean it at that time as a fuck you Trump, but it's amazing how, how much it, it carries over even at this point. I was going to say, yeah. the things the things that he's warning about in this album are so prophetic. It's hilarious. Like yeah. it, it's only more relevant. <laughs> it's so funny. This, yeah. of course, was the first single off the album, first track, title track. I like that they just get it all over with. And uh, American Idiot contends that mass media has orchestrated paranoia and idiocracy among the public, particularly cable news, which Armstrong felt had crossed the line from journalism to reality television. So, Boy, so does that it sound? Is hard, it is hard to argue with that. Does that sound know? at all like any kind of the times that we live in at all? <laughs> does that even is that even relevant anymore? What an old fashioned song. Oh God. It's almost depressing how accurate that sounds, you know? Yeah. That, I mean, that should have been written yesterday about today. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And and I know it's only for one of the verses, I, I want to say, but I, I love how the uh, the drums and the vocals sort of lead this song, it feels like, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. And and beyond musically, the song's such a punch in the face, too, because it, it emphasizes yeah. there's strong language. Um, it kind of juxtaposes this homophobic slur, which I don't, I don't feel comfortable saying, frankly, but it's the F-A-G-G-O-T mm-hmm. word. Um, it is true. And yeah. America. And it's the, uh, America. I think everyone knows the lyric. And this apparently <laughs> was to kind of create a voice for the disenfranchised. It's it's saying, you, you know, kind of the outcasts America, if you will. Exactly. And kind of yeah. empowering, kind of owning that the term. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and to make that even more clear, Billy Joe said the song was a, written about himself. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that he is the American idiot. Yeah, exactly. Like listening to all these, you know, TV shows that are just purely uh, advertisements interspersed with journalists trying to just show these images of bloody battle and whatnot. And he felt like it was just very fake almost. Big news. Which I think I think I think he's nah. he's got he's got a point about it. yeah. <laughs> and and to start too also to start the uh the storyline of American Idiot, I think American Idiot is sort of just the the backdrop opener. That's of, right. This is the overture. The overture, We're yeah. Setting the stage of the America that our characters will be inhabiting. And uh yeah, and with that I think we'll be moving into to track two, Jesus Suburbia. That's right, it flows real nice. This is of course where we meet. The Jesus of Suburbia. Jesus of Suburbia. This is the protagonist of the the story of this concept album is telling. Mm-hmm. And uh, this song is is long, long and thorough. I think there's like something like five parts to this song, and they're all they're all enrapturing. They've all got different instrumental uh, you know vibes to them. But the general idea is this is our introduction to the main character, Jesus of Suburbia. And it details his sort of disenfranchisement with uh, life at home in the suburbs. And uh, he basically just decides to leave, you know? Yeah. You can look up, you can get the full story of, of the concept album. You know, I'm not so interested in telling that story. J- just as how it connects exactly. to Billy in the yeah. process that he was, you know, of what he uh, what he was creating and how it affected him personally. Because mm-hmm. yeah, you, you, yeah. Uh, we, you wouldn't want a summary of um, the movie Jaws on a podcast about Jaws. We were going to talk about the other, you know, the other things. Exactly. This yeah. song is so cool, too. It was the fifth and final single from the album. It has an epic video. It's insane. It's very long. Yeah. You know, it's even longer than the song. Uh, there's parts where they're just acting. And there's no music. It's 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 a whole short film onto itself. It's very pretty, yeah. It's well done. And it's sure. it's crazy that this was released as a single. Many, of course, uh, thought this was very unfriendly to radio play. 
So it was cut down to mm-hmm. a six and a half minute cut for radio edit. But what I love is that the long version <laughs> was still played by like most rock and alternative radio stations. Because I was going to mm-hmm. say, I've heard this yeah. on some of my local radio and they always play the nine minute long version. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard a shortened version of this song. I'm not I sure what it would sound like. Like what part of it maybe, would you cut? Maybe you know? a, a few of the I don't cares, but not too many. I not guess. too many now. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I can't imagine what would cut it to six and a half that wouldn't be sacrilegious. The second two parts of the song are beautiful. Like, you could not cut any yeah, of those. But it's a beautiful song, you know? And uh, Billy Joe has said this is his the favorite song that he has written, as we've, we've discovered. And on in top the of that, class. I actually saw that Trey Cool, the drummer, states that this is one of his favorite songs as well because he gets to do his drum solo. Oh, yes. You yes, know, yes, Trey yes. Loves, loves showing off on the kit, so that's fun. And, and, of course, as we've talked about, this is still in their encore. They play this long, long-ass song all the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. They just love it. Yeah. And, and I do, too. It's, it's one of the greatest songs they've ever written. Maybe the best. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you can hate. Like, this is, this is and always will be, I feel pretty confident, is going to be one of my favorite songs. City of the Damned is the, the hook from Summer of 69, but I don't care. I, City of the Damned blows my mind. That's probably my favorite. That's a good question. Part of it. Which which uh, which portion is is City of the Damned your favorite? I think portion it might be. Song? What's yours? Mine's actually Dearly Beloved. Oh well, that's so good too. Yeah, it's so catchy. There's something like beautifully like I don't know what it is. It's almost like a a songbird melody or something. Yeah, I don't and then know. it leads into Mike's awesome uh, little solo there before Tales of Another. Mm-hmm. Uh, Exactly. Everyone gets their their yeah. This is a song. This is a great example of the whole band working together very cohesively. Exactly. Lifting equal weight. It's beautiful. Yeah, they worked hard. They did. And it's clear after all this, they probably needed a holiday, wouldn't you say? <laughs> There's no question. I don't know how you couldn't use a holiday. After yeah. That. This is of course track three, holiday, and it was the what third single or second single? Uh, I believe this is the third single. Okay. That's right, that's right. This was the third single off the album. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the record, the record American Idiot, I I identify this as my first favorite Green Day song. I was just (laughs) It is hilarious you said that because one of the main notes I made off this song was like, this was the first, my first favorite Green Day song. You too? Actually, which is hilarious. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, it was like absolutely the first time I thought, this is like the band for me, basically. Yeah. That yeah. that riff, the um, it's just so driving. It's so catchy, damn, yeah. And and how angry Ridiculous. the uh, the bridge is. The bridge is furious. Exactly. So yeah. So Billy described this as sort of their uh, anti-war protest song, um, sort of describing like disenfranchised person in uh, in anti-war America. I guess that's right. He said, I think it took around two months to finish writing, because he because he just yeah, kept, which is kept feeling the lyrics shocking. were not there. They weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad he took mm-hmm. his time because the lyrics are phenomenal. There's a lot of poetic allusions mm-hmm. to kind of the toll that war takes on a country and on individuals. Exactly. But it's not preachy, and you can still just dance and sing along. And and you know, it's it's a great who who's pro war? <laughs> you fucking dick. That's a good point. Yeah. Some fucking. If someone asshole, doesn't like I'm the sure. message of this song, that's a real red flag. I would say. Uh, they're like i like the riff but the message uh, i don't know (laughs) and and, yeah and so so it's it's this is one of the more political ones uh where they're actually you know calling out uh, arnold schwarzenegger a a different 
political figures who were in power at that time that he disagreed with. Mm-hmm. But as far as, as what it represents on the concept album, I believe this is Jesus of Suburbia going to the city uh, and partying and, and kind exactly. of exploring the real world for the first time. And it's reflected exactly. in the video as well. And yeah, at this point, Jesus is just uh, going way too hard and not, a, you know, he's enjoying himself, but he's, uh, it's not fulfilling. No, and there's a lot of, yeah, and there's darkness in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this such a great double single kind of track with track four, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Exactly. Because one flows right into the other. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, track four, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, major smash hit. You, you know I'm sure one. we've all listened yeah. to this yeah, a few times. Yeah, you had to have been under a rock, under the sea, uh, you know, <laughs> under a volcano on Pluto to not have heard this. And this is sort of described by Billy as being like the, uh, quote unquote, the hangover of his of the new partying lifestyle of Jesus suburbia and holiday. Yeah, and holiday. Yeah, because yes. holiday, holiday, the, the, and, and in, in the videos they're in the car partying in the city, driving around, rocking out, and then the car breaks down, and they're kind mm-hmm. of abandoned in the middle of nowhere, kind of walking, have forced to walk the boulevard of broken dreams. Exactly. Uh-huh. So yeah, and, and, and so the videos reflect that, those themes perfectly. Uh, this was the second yeah. single off the album, oddly. So it, I guess chronologically it should have been the third, but whatever. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Um, and it oh, was well. inspired largely uh, from time that Billy spent walking around New York City when he went on that, that little sabbatical for himself. Mm-hmm. And I guess he actually wrote the song while he was in his son Joey's bedroom. Oh, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a nice little creepy detail a creepy detail yeah uh, pardon us it is raining fan cliches but in 2005 <laughs> vh1 storytellers program which is this is a fun fun fact fun personal fact this actual airing of the 2005 vh1 storytellers where the the band plays songs and they talk about the meaning behind some of these songs i uh, have a vhs of it somewhere still taped to this day and i i taped it when it first aired and i just held on to that VHS and I would rewatch it and rewatch it and rewatch it. Um, so I remember Billy saying this, but he, he was stating that as far as Boulevard of Broken Dreams, the t- title of the song was nicked from the famous Gottfried Helwin uh, painting of the same title, which featured James Dean. Okay. Interesting. So I think huh. he'd been walking around, he'd been having all these uh, yeah. ideas floating around his head and he saw that title as the, the title of this painting and, and it just clicked and he's like, that's yeah. what it is. The 1968 Green Mercury Monterey convertible featured in both the Holiday and Boulevard videos uh, is kind of iconic. It's got the heart hand grenade um, as the ornament, the hood ornament on the front. And the band rode this very car from the videos to the 2005 MTV Video Music Awards. Hmm. Okay. That's, That's pretty rock and roll. That's a cool car to show up in. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I love that hood ornament to have on my own car that doesn't have a hood ornament. <laughs> I mean, did you see this thing about Hurricane Katrina? I did not. No, what's that? Oh, this surprised me. I didn't know that. This is this is really cool, though. This is a hashtag good guy, good guys Green Day. G G G D. In response to Hurricane Katrina and the popularity of Boulevard of Broken Dreams, Green Day donated mm-hmm. all of the iTunes proceeds from this song for the year to the American Red Cross for Katrina aid efforts. Really? Isn't that like wow, really nice? That's cool. The, yeah. The biggest. I mean, I, I, and I know we're talking about people who are incredibly rich, so like, mo- it's money's different. I, I get that. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he wasn't having to not buy a second house because of this, you know, giving up <laughs> this. But but it's still really cool that it was the, the nonetheless was yeah. huge. iTunes was huge. 
you know, this was the the most money that song was going to make was that year, and they gave all of mm-hmm. the the iTunes money to to Red Cross, which is that is really cool. It's yeah, a nice reminder honestly. that yeah, I mean, yeah, Green Day do care. They really do. They have a heart, maybe, probably. They probably do. Yeah, I think they do. At this time, they certainly did. They were really trying to write about stuff they cared yeah. about and and put their mm-hmm. money where their mouth was. So that's nice. It was an absolutely fantastic track. And uh, I think it was followed by uh, Are We the Waiting, track number five off of American Idiot. I, which I don't only also think written. I know it was followed by track five, Are We the Waiting. It is. It yes. Is, it is. And this is it. Um, and this was also written by Billy when he was living in uh, New York City for a few weeks, um, which is, I think, I think it makes total sense when you look at these two tracks by themselves. Um, they have this anyway, isol- yeah. kind of this more of an isolation feeling alone alone surrounded by people type thing they really do it's it's so and I clear believe billy said are we the waiting yeah sort of started when i was walking around on a misty night in new york city and i think it's a point in the record where the character is on the verge of losing his mind a little bit and he's very vulnerable exactly it's right before he becomes saint jimmy yes that's a big moment in this album you know i don't want to i don't want to like spoil anything or anything so i'll just say um no i agree i'd say it's the midpoint i think i think i think he just he just he loses himself a little bit in this out al- in this song you know I'll, I'll let you decide what happens after that i think yeah well yeah so the, so this is him being lost kind of the feeling like he's made this mistake and and, and feeling that the world seeing kind of how cold and indifferent the world can be and, and are, yeah. are we all the waiting, kind of just waiting to die? Exactly. The logic of the story is, anyway, is that this character, Jesus of Suburbia, has to make the decision to kind of blockade his personality and kind of create this identity for himself, which is, of course, the St. Jimmy. Exactly. And the St. Jimmy yeah. is the badass motherfucker who can kick someone through a wall and do six shots and like not even feel thing. <laughs> Billy talks about we need to create that version of ourselves. Yeah. Everyone has to have some kind of version of that and themselves. This duality of who you are. True. True. And I, I'm not even sure if you should if this this almost seems too revealing. Because I think I mean I, think, I believe what it's supposed to be is that the big reveal at the end is that they're one and the same. It's like Fight Club or something. But Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly but, uh, though, but, that but is who so cares? Accurate. That's not Fight what Club. we're here to do. Fight Club is a great parallel to this album yeah it's it's spoiler alert for both those things sorry <laughs> if you haven't listened to american idiot and you haven't seen fight club by now you really didn't want to <laughs> it's, it's it's you've had the time that's true that's true but but yeah so that leads into what is track six here saint jimmy and saint jimmy this is such a tonal difference from what we just had which is yeah. are we the waiting it just this kicks in hard it kills yeah I think the drums are so important in this song, actually. Yeah. And, and and as far as what we were just talking about, when VH1 storytellers asked if Jesus of Suburbia and St. Jimmy were the same character, Billy replied, mm-hmm. the original thought was that it was the same person. It could be two different people. I don't know. I love St. Jimmy. He's pretty cool. He's pretty sexy. <laughs> it's part of a split personality that I think a lot of people have, and they get disconnected from themselves a little bit and maybe follow a self-destructive path, and I think St. Jimmy sort of symbolizes that. <laughs> it's interesting to me that they like never even intended them, for sure at least, to be uh, the same person. Because yeah. I think since then it's it's become pretty standard fare to say like they're the same person, blah, blah, blah. Like, he, you know, Jesus Suburbia becomes a separate part of his personality and all that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's largely about fighting your own demons, um, mm-hmm. is what St. Mm-hmm. Jimmy represents, and, uh, and yeah. the necessity of them, and, and also uh, having the maturity to let them go. St. Jimmy. 
it is an incredibly fun song. It is. It yeah. really tears it up whenever he sings it. It represents who, who St. Jamie is supposed to be. It's just like a fun partying dude, you know? And uh, pardon me, once again, what am I going to say? Uh, suicide Commando that your mama talked about? Damn, pretty close. But no, I was going to say fan cliche. Fan cliche. But I like yours better. <laughs> okay. Whenever they're performing it, live everyone knows on the album at the very end he goes and that's my name and don't wear it out oh yeah yeah and that's yeah. very I fun that little fan cliche though everyone really can enjoy when they're playing it live generally speaking bja <laughs> is gonna go and that's my name and he's gonna stare at the audience with the mic out in his hand he's gonna look really intensely and everyone's gonna start cheering ah, ah is he gonna do it is he gonna do it and he goes and don't you fucking wear it out <laughs> and everyone loses their shit and you see a flash in his eyes where you go dude you're really angry there for you like became the saint jimmy for a second <laughs> so i think it's an iconic ending that ends even more iconically if, if that's a term uh live that is that is so accurate yeah i kind of i honestly kind of forgot that that's a thing that he did but now that you remind me, I'm like, no, I'm, des I'm desperate to go buy some like tickets to Hell Omega Tour or something and and see this again. Yeah, I bet you are. Don't don't make me ask you if you got them yet. You God, good intentions, good don't intentions, good intentions. That's all it is. Well, track seven here is "Give Me Novocaine," mm -hmm. and uh, I I think even the worst intentions couldn't ruin this song because it's a real winner. <laughs> uh, I, I would describe this as a fan favorite, wouldn't you? I think this is a fan favorite. Exactly, yeah. I, I, re um, I recall them talking about a few years ago saying that they'd been playing it on the road and they were really surprised how much fans were uh, positively reacting to it. And, and I was like, oh, of course. I'm not surprised in the least. Yeah. Um, this is a great song. All the instrumentals are beautiful. And yeah. sort of details, um, Jesus Suburbia's, I think, his fall into uh, apathy, I think is, is the word I would best describe and like saint jimmy is sort of the idea behind his his pull into this um yeah way of, of being i guess i believe billy said give me novocaine touches on american reality television of that time mm -hmm. uh, which armstrong likened to gladiators in the coliseum mm -hmm. so yeah kind of just just i just want to zone out and watch the 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 people fight for me and uh, I believe he also said, I think Novocaine is a song about trying to find that escape in places mm -hmm. that are probably not the most healthy things in the world if you let them take over. Exactly. And yes. you can lose yourself. And I think we all have that that side of us. You know, we have that thing that we like escape to when we don't have any uh, anything else yeah. to do. And you can lose yourself in your demons. Exactly. Which is, you know, an important thing to keep track on. Keep tabs Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And I think Billy knows, knows about yeah. that quite a bit. So. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and but and then beyond that, it's just uh, I really love the vibe of the song, how how chill the I verses are, and then when the chorus comes in and again kicks your ass. It's a beautiful song. She's a rebel is track eight here. I wonder if Rebel mm -hmm. Wilson listens to this song often. You know, <laughs> she could really enjoy this track. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a great She's question. She's a rebel, <laughs> Wilson. She, you know, she could just make it run. In any case, yeah, she really could. Yeah, I doubt it. I doubt yeah, it. But it's we'll possible. see. Rebel, get back to us on that. This is this Please. is a, another great track. Introduction of a very important character. Exactly. This is where what's her name is introduced. 
and she's described mm-hmm. as a mother revolution figure, and she's kind of mm-hmm. the foil to Saint Jimmy. So she's hoping for the same reactionary, you know, type of. I don't know. How would you describe it, Chris? Like reactionary. Uh... Well, I, I, I think Billy was talking about kind of that that Saint Jimmy's all the the freedom that you would want to indulge in that's kind of darker. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then what's her name represents kind of the freedoms of positivity and morality. And so it's kind of the two different sides of the punk ethos. Yeah, yeah. I think the positivity is the side I was, I was sort of looking for. Because, yeah, there's a, there's a side of she's of uh, what's her name I should say, which is describing she's rebel that is positive as compared to Saint Jimmy's sort of just a anarchist I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's and it's not uh, constructive. It's destructive. And, and exactly. And, and, yeah. And what's her name yeah. inspires our character because she's actually better than him and trying to better the world oh yeah. no question exactly exactly yeah um and and yeah. Uh, you know billy speaking of powerful women which is a, is a big theme and i'd say this the story of green day it actually is yeah yeah billy joe armstrong revealed that the female character of american idiot uh what's her name was based on all the women he had been involved with in his life wow all of them hence the what's her name it's a reference uh, in the album uh, on She's a Rebel when they say from Chicago to Toronto. She's the one that mm-hmm. they call old. What's her name? Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of saying it's, it's she's this is the same girl from everywhere I've been. Like this is a kind of the interesting this the spiritualized version of of all of these different yeah. powerful women that have had an influence on him. Because I've always thought actually of um, I guess quote unquote Amanda that we've we've heard of in. Uh, you know, she the song. That's and, right. Um, let's see. Have your life come and all around these other... and like yeah. just a you know a shitload of like their songs. It sounds like um, this girl is, is written about by Billy Joe. And also, um, apparently, she's a rebel was inspired by Bikini Kill's Rebel Girl. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But, and, and we know Bikini Kill's a big influence on them. Uh, that'll come up more in a second. And and she's a rebel bleeds into kind of another femme fatale fantastical song. Isn't that right? Exactly, it really does. This um, is extraordinary not girl. an ordinary world. <laughs> no, no, no. The closer to Revolution Radio. This is Extraordinary Girl, track nine off American Idiot. And I just, I just love these these drums at the beginning. I don't know. I can't get over it. You know. Every time I listen to this album, I just think, what are these doing here? Hey, who put these here? <laughs> hey, you. Did you leave these here? <laughs> well, you gotta clean them. You can't just leave them here. You gotta clean it up. All right. Actually, it sounds pretty good. You can leave it. It's just so, it's just so out of place, you know. It's just so strange. But well, apparently, this is uh, the the percussion is the tablas, uh, which is being performed by Trey Cool. It's it's like wild, you know. I just wondered, like, did Trey decide that that was the best the best idea, or what do you think? I mean, I I really don't know. It's just, it's this whole kind of Middle Eastern feel to the the intro there, just with the guitar mm-hmm. and everything too. Mm-hmm. I think it does make the intro to the song so much more interesting. Is having that it does, yeah. I up. mean, it's it's extraordinary, is is what I would say. It really is extraordinary, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, uh, no, that's extraordinary. <laughs> I, I as, as we talked about, kind of in, in the vein of she and these other kind of mm-hmm. songs encouraging these these strong female characters who are currently maybe a little down on their luck or having some struggles yeah and and yeah and just in terms of the story as far as the story goes i think extraordinary girl sort of details what's her name's sort of realization or 
or both of theirs really really realization that um their relationship really isn't meant to be and uh you know it's not really detailed exactly why you know i think in both the verses she basically says wiping the tears from her eyes you know some days he yeah. feels like dying blah 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 I mean, I feel she's she's problems of her own. It's pretty clear. Sounds yeah, like that, maybe a little depression or something. Yeah, there's some and, depression and going he, on for sure. We, as we know, Jesus of suburbia, Saint Jimmy, has problems of his own. Oh yeah. And so I, it's it's really just that these two are not, you know, maybe maybe not meant to be. Exactly. He exactly. steals the image in her kiss. There we from go. From the heart's apocalypse. Yeah. From the one called what's her name. There we go. Thank you. And yeah. I think that that's I mean that's he steals the image in her kiss. I love that line so much, and I think so it pretty. describes very poetically what men can do to women, and it's just kind of sucking them dry like vampires. <laughs> and, um, it's true. I, I and hate I, to be, yeah, I hate I to. I think that's know. what it is, and I think that's her kind of being like, this relationship, maybe it's her with the St. Jimmy, but yeah, it's not. And oh my that's God. not good. Last thing I'll say about Extraordinary Girl is that it was originally going to be titled Radio Baghdad. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. And, and and I think that maybe explains the the intro, the Middle Eastern feel maybe a little bit as they yeah, were going for that does. vibe. Yeah, it does. It does. It really does. Track 10, Letter Bomb. What an entrance. What a song. It is. The the opening uh, vocals there are brought on by guest vocalist Kathleen Hanna, lead singer of Bikini Kill and La Tigre. But Bikini Kill, there they are. <laughs> So, of course, this band that, that has been inspiring Green Day and Billy for quite a long time. Badass, you know, right girl punk band. And Billy got actually got to get the lead singer uh, to come in and do that awesome little opening for Letterbomb. But I also think it's important to, like, say that, that this is, like, one of the most... This is the, epi- or the episode, <laughs> the song, the song in which uh, What's-Her-Name finally decides to leave his ass, you know? Because he's... You know, he's partying, like he's partying too this much. This is basically. the one where like Ross and Rachel break up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, this is one the one where Jesus of Suburbia and what's her name? You know, she dumps his ass. Exactly. Completely. Exactly. Because what an um, asshole! Why would you do that? Blah blah blah. Whatever he did. Yeah, and and, and really, it's just he kind of keeps being Saint Jimmy. He does. And she wanted Jesus of Suburbia. Mm-hmm. And basically, the as the story goes, this makes Jesus of Suburbia kill his alter ego, Saint Jimmy. And, yeah, and wanting yeah. to go back to life how it was before he, he left home and got into drugs. Exactly. And I'd say, you're, you kind of just said it, but yeah, I probably agree. This is like the climax of the album. Wow. Yeah, I think that's true. I didn't think about it in that context, but I think you're right. Letter Bomb is the height of the, the our characters really clashing. I think that's, yeah, I think that's totally accurate. And uh, it's a great song, you know? I don't, I don't know what, what to say about it other than it's, like, I think you said, you said it. It is the most important song of the album as far as it goes for like the storyline you know and it's currently probably one of my favorites off the album i i I play this acoustically Mm -hmm. it is so fun this like just to play this song is such a thrill yeah it's a sleeper hit i would say for sure yeah uh another and another fan favorite i'd say this is beloved on the forum oh no question oh my god (laughs) yeah (laughs) speaking of one that uh has maybe aged a bit. This is mm-hmm. track 11. Oh, God. Wake Me Up When September Ends. Yes. I'm pretty sure just by hearing that title, you can hear the song. You're probably irritated. You're probably irritated with us and just hearing yeah, that Yeah, like, I, I know. I've heard of this. <laughs> but let's um, not lie. This this uh, acoustic you know, little riff is eternally loved by all of us, I think. Huge. One of the first things I learned on the guitar. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. 
And it's pretty, you know, it's gorgeous. This was the fourth single from the album. Yeah. I mean, I think all of our jokes are pretty much based on that, that it was, I think, a little overplayed on the radio. Exactly. Green Day had done American Idiot, Boulevard, and Holiday, and they'd all been huge. Mm-hmm. And this another single comes, and I think they just played the hell out they of really it. They really did, yeah. Should I do it or should you? <laughs> you go for it. You go for it. All right. All right. <laughs> We're, we got to have a tally. I'll have a tally at the end of how many we do. Fan cliche. Fan cliche. Yeah. One of the most common initial <laughs> beliefs about this song uh, is that it's about 9-11. This, this album was a, in large way a, a reaction to... Uh, the Bush era and the war in Iraq and a lot of these things that were set off by the events of 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, 2001, that is. In the liner notes, the song is dated September 10. The The album art had this really cool booklet and the CD with all the lyrics, you know, what appear to be handwritten and, and they're supposed to be letters from these different characters to each other. That's the, kind of the way the, the songs are sold is that these are letters that are Jesus of Suburbia has written, what's her name and so on. Right, right, um, right. And the date on the letter for Waking Up When September Ends is September 10th. Interesting. Um, okay. And it is the 11th track on the album. So for all these reasons, everyone was like, this is about September 11th. How could it not be? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that was on his mind, but Billy actually wrote this. This is the fan cliche part. Actually wrote this about um, the death of his father, mm-hmm. who was a jazz musician and I guess minor league baseball catcher. Didn't know that. Yeah. Who died of esophageal cancer, unfortunately, when Armstrong was uh, just 10 years old. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this is another story that a lot of people would either find very cute or very either fake. <laughs> I don't know. Or cute. Um, but Billy apparently said after his father died, when his mother, you know, came by his room or whatever, he would basically say, wake me up when September ends. And so he would just like go to sleep in his room and his mom would, his mom, you know, heard, wake me up when September ends. So he, he, uh, I guess took it very hard when, when that actually happened. In yeah. Sleep. Which I don't get. It's like, you know, does, do people really care about their parents? When they're that young? Yeah. Grow up. No, I mean. It messed. It turned his whole world upside down. Of course, down, it's no got doubt. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his dad was a musician. You know, probably influenced so much of, of how he conducted himself going forward, and, and you know, he becoming a musician himself. And I, I mean, it's it is very sad. Billy, when he sings the song live, especially the first year that it was out, he would often kind of get teary when he was singing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember on that same VH1 behind the music whatever show that Billy gets kind of emotional talking about and singing that song. Yeah, and I believe he, you know, it's it, one of the lyrics is "20 years has gone so fast," and and since t- 2012, Billy has changed the lyric to "30 years has gone so fast" because it's been 30 years now since the death of his father, which is crazy. Right. It's been you know a, a decade past since the albums come out, and yeah, yeah, you know he's still performing that every night. It's yeah, it's it's intense and it's it's kind of beautiful, really, and and in the context of the album too, um, it's interesting too because I think it's. They put it after Letterbomb in the sense that it's, I, I think at least, it's sort of when he's lost everything that really like meant to him, you know, which was what's your name at that at that point in time, which I think was really sweet. Yeah, I, oh, completely, I agree, and and I do think as part of the quote unquote plot of the album that it does have something to do with September 11th. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think the idea is like you leave the city and then this horrible thing happens in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or or the inciting incident that makes him realize, like, I got to get out of here. Exactly, yeah. Having it be that date on the liner notes does make it seem, you know, like, how can you not? You, you had to have known that was going to be, parallels would be drawn. Exactly, exactly. But, but yeah, yeah. But, and it would, I think this could have been saccharine. 
if the story wasn't actually about Billy's family and his father, mm-hmm. uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of what makes it work is knowing that this is actually, it's not a, Oh, my nation. Oh, who done hurt my nation. It's actually <laughs> a very, you know, which is a very real feeling. I'm not trying to discredit that, but it, it comes, comes much more personal and it's about his father and it kind of comes from somewhere much deeper within. It's a, yeah, it's a touching track, honestly. And, um, I, I think it leads pretty well into, uh, Track number 12, does it not? We've got one last crazy one. That's track 12, right? A wild boy. Homecoming. That's a wild boy. (laughs) So this is another, uh, you know, over nine minute track, you know, along with Jesus of Suburbia. And as you mentioned, this was actually the first song that really got the juices flowing for this full album after Mm -hmm. Cigarettes and Valentine's had Mm -hmm. been stolen. I I have an Armstrong quote here. Uh, Billy Joe, not Lance. Uh, one day Mike was at the studio and he wrote a 30 second song I don't know I liked it so I wanted to do one too the one that I did I connected to his and then traded one and he connected it to mine and so on and so forth until we had about 10 minutes it was just purely out of having a good time mm-hmm. I love that I love that the, the, the best things are start with just having fun playing with each other that is so fucking cool yeah exactly the different movements or suites of this are, are mm-hmm. the death of St. Jimmy uh, number two East 12th Street. Number three, Nobody Likes You. That was written by Mike Durnt. Next yep. up would be Rock and Roll Girlfriend. That's Trey Cool. And finally, five is We're Coming Home Again. They kind of go all over the board, don't they? They do, yeah. And and these, yeah, this the starts as sort of a, you know, a typical Green Day punk punk song. And then I think it quickly uh, delves on East 12th Street into sort of a little bit more laid back, but not quite. In the first act, it's like the death of St. Jimmy, obviously. So St. Jimmy kills himself. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is kind of revealed, again, as we kind of know already, is revealed to be that's Jesus of suburbia kind of killing off that side of his identity. Exactly, exactly. And it, then it's his decision to move back home. Hence mm-hmm. the whole song being called Homecoming. It's kind of admitting you've uh, fucked up in the city and needing to move on back home, a feeling that's relatable to many people. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I'm scared it will be relatable to me. Not, quite yet. <laughs> Not yet. You're doing you're doing so well. You're doing well. Cling it on. Yeah, yeah. Um, cling on. And then of course nobody like likes you. That was Mike Durnt, kind of about the people stuck at home who are just stuck watching TV. Rock and roll girlfriend. Uh, that's kind of Trey Cool's his his comedy uh, addition to this album. He, he, he gets one funny little bit every few albums, and this, they gave him this one. And then finally, We're Coming Home Again, which is just kind of the yeah. half-celebration, half-dread of having to return back to everything you left. I gotta say, I, I think Trey's portion of this song is, is... I don't know what it is, but it's so fun. It is so catchy. It is so entertaining. Like, I, I love that, uh, you know, what is it, whatever it is, part four or so. Yeah. So yeah. Get Off My Case. Get Off My get Case. Get Off My Case. It's so good. <laughs> What's your what's your favorite of of these all the the parts here of all the parts on here? homecoming? Oh man, oh gosh, um, it's either it's either rock and roll girlfriend or uh, East Twelfth Street. One of those two, for sure. Yeah, mine might be East Twelfth Street or We're Coming Home Again, but yeah, mm-hmm. probably East Twelfth Street. Yeah, East Twelfth Street um, is is is. But super I, I like it all. Yeah, I, I recall in the Rolling Stone review they liked everything except this song. They said this song is a mess. Oh, um, the which haters. is funny to me because it's like the first one that started it all. Yeah, exactly. But they can go fuck themselves. So they really can. Yeah. Come at me, Rolling Stone. <laughs> fucking cool whores. Honestly, though, you like disgust if, me. Yeah. This might. This is arguably my favorite song on the album. 
I think. I think. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so eat that Rolling Stone. There we go. There we go. Colin's favorite. Speaking yeah. of favorites, let's talk about this track 13 here. This is oh the final track on American Idiot. Oh my God. Thanks for hanging out with us, by the way. I know it's been a lot. It's a, it, it's a lot of passion and a concentrated amount of time. Might be hard to listen to, but you're going to have to deal with one more little, mm-hmm. I don't know, squeak of pat, nine cc's of passion. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about track 13, What's Her Name? Oh my God. This song is so beautiful. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say other than a couple days ago, I was listening to this song. And I don't listen to this whole album that often, you know, on its on its own. But I listen to this. Uh, you album. have a job. You're an adult. I have a job. You know, I'm doing you know the things that adults do, as you're saying. And uh, yeah. I I got home. I listened to this album. I listened to this song, and I gotta say, by the end of this song, I'm not even ashamed to say it. I was crying by the end of the song. Oh. I, I I'm not ashamed to say it. No, no. No, I'm glad. Don't I be. will say it. I will say it. This song is beautiful. This song will make a grown man cry. This song is so fucking touching, dude. It is ridiculous. It, it is. Well, I don't know what it is, but there's so something so universal about having something so important to you that slowly, slowly fades. I think. And that's what's her name, right? That's, that's what's uh, her name. Just as far as the plot of the album, this is kind of to resolve everything. We we yeah. pick up with our character Jesus of Suburbia years later, mm-hmm. and and he's moved on. What's her name has moved on, and now he can't even remember her name exactly. And hence yeah. her being called What's Her Name, and it's kind of the, our our narrator has been telling us this whole story yeah. all these years later, mm-hmm. and and has is as you mentioned, yes, yeah, slowly starting to forget the details, which I think is so depressingly universal as far as uh just important factors of your life go you know like i've had i've had plenty of important stories but like you know you kind of forget them over over a period of time and i think that's that's kind of kind of universal you know you it absolutely is you slowly forget the details of the important stories of your life and it's emotional too i'd say because this album is such a time capsule for us and people Mm -hmm. of this generation in that it's actually singing about the events of this time and also just because it was so huge, it just feels like culturally a part of our upbringing. It does, um, yeah. And to yeah. kind of, and you're right, to be looking back and realizing how much things have changed and what slowly is fading into memory. You know, I'm glad they recorded this album. It captures yeah. so much for us. Yeah, I, I would say that What's Your Name is, is probably my favorite song on this album, which is saying quite wow. a bit, actually. Yeah. Um, and, well, I don't know if I'd go, in, uh, I might go that far. It's it's certainly tied, but I'd also say I think this is Green Day's best closer for an album. That is, there is yeah, there's absolutely no question. That is that is fact. Yeah. Well, um, well, prosthetic head. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> prosthetic head. <laughs> no, what's her name is by far the best closer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the gold standard for me of how an album should close. And uh, I mean, and then just as what's her name ends here, it's it's uh, the final lyrics are you forgetting you, but not the time. Yeah, you know, and doesn't that just uh, grab you and your your testicles and throw shove them up your throat? <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't that just make your uh, your Adam's apple drop to your toes and your balls leap up into your throat? Oh God. Okay. Produces a feeling. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry to end such a beautiful song with such a gross description, but yeah. it's too late now. And I'm sorry to end our entire album review on such a gross, dis- you know 
talking about my balls, but it already has happened because that is the end, folks. That is American Idiot. I, I kid you not. That is the best album of all time. I mean, to you. It is. It is yeah. factually. It is the best album of all time. Yeah, no. Bach, Beethoven, The Beatles. Y'all can eat a dick, all right? Get in line. What an idiot. What an idiot. Jesus. American Idiot. Uh, when people say AI and they're worried about AI taking over, I'm like, I'm not worried about American idiots taking over. They're all dummies. <laughs> um, as far as, yeah, we're just thoughts, shock and awe. What, what would you cut? Uh, what would you keep? I would cut... Uh, I would cut none of it. I like quite literally. Wow. I would. I would definitely not cut. Answer. I would definitely not cut any of it. I would maybe add one or two things if they had some things that I have not heard. And well, there were some good B sides. We are yeah. going to do an. If anyone's listening and be like, "Oh, you missed this. You missed that. You did." We are going to do an episode of Odds and Ends. Mm-hmm. We are going to catch all the little singles, all the little things that we've missed that are not on official releases. Do not worry. I know there are some great B-sides from this album that were from Cigarettes and Valentines and uh, included in the Broadway show. We'll talk about that separately. Mm-hmm. But as far as just the the tracks as it stands, as you said, I would not cut a thing. I don't have to hesitate thinking about that. It's hard um, to imagine trying to cut any of it, no, honestly. I wouldn't want to. What would I keep? I'd keep it all. And I think it's held up great. I think it's actually aged better uh, than better when it came because out. of the ideas it's dealing with. Exactly. Unfortunately, the world's only gotten more messed up. Yeah. Since the Bush years. I was just thinking that. Like, I feel like this this album should sort of uh, better represent our our place and time than it did at the time. Well, that's but, so true. Yeah, it's almost gotten worse. But and, and people keep going, Billy, are you going to write a Trump record? It's like, he already did. Yeah, he kind of did. Just listen, you know, this is just as relevant now. Yeah, just re-listen. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to do that. I did I did that. And, uh, you know, it's all, I, you, tell me when things have changed. Exactly. And I'll write another album about exactly. it. Exactly. It's all the same stuff. Yeah, no, that almost makes me feel like maybe Father of All will be a really beautiful record that I've just not expected, you know, so who knows? Maybe that's a nice thought. I like that spin. I doubt it. I, but like, maybe. I, I, I doubt it, but maybe I'm going to be positive. Yeah, I'm going to be positive about it. Um, yeah. Chris's one gripe. Ask oh, me. Oh God. Oh God. Uh, it's too grandiose. That's not it. Uh, wait, 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 it's a really wait, good wait. gripe. It's actually um, a very good gripe. It's. It's. Let me tell you. I can tell you. Yeah, just tell me. It's okay. You're doing great. Just, just tell me. Yeah, I'll just tell you. In most, okay, the original, I got it, the original, pre, you know, CD pressing. Yeah. I've got yeah. that downloaded onto my iTunes. I've got all that. Since, sometime since the release of this album, they decided to couple these tracks together mm-hmm. in a way that I freaking hate. What so do you mean? So if you go on Spotify right now, it's American Idiot, Jesus of Suburbia. Those are two separate tracks. Then they clump, track three is Holiday slash Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Oh, come on. Track four is Are We the Waiting slash St. Jimmy. Oh, Track no. five is Give Me Novocaine slash She's a Rebel. Track six is Extraordinary Girl slash Letter Bomb. And no. then the rest of the album plays out as the individual tracks. But that center section should not be put together, I don't think fuck? at all. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's bullshit. And I remember going on iTunes too, they also, where you could purchase it and you'd be purchasing one song. It's actually these two songs. And I think it does a, such a great disservice to this album. Yeah. To make it that when you're shuffling or putting on playlists or whatever, you can't just find the individual song you want. You actually have to listen to both. That is in a so row, and, weird. and you don't yeah. always want to do that. Yeah, no, that is so weird to me. I don't know why they would do that. Um, it's and it's been that way for a while. I don't get it. 
Oh, that is so weird. I did, I did not realize that. That that really bothers me. That really irritates me, Chris. Is that a Colin gripe now as well? It really, yeah. Honestly, I feel almost okay. guilty about it, but like that kind of irks me, you know? Because like that irks me a lot. It's their art, as they put it out track by track, and then they messed with it. Like it's... The, the songs you are describing, like some of them go together, like Holiday and Boulevard, Broken Dreams. Those go together, but like. Yeah, but those know, are two say, singles. Say Letter Bomb and um, what were you saying? Letter Bomb and so Extraordinary uh, Girl into Letter Extraordinary Bomb. Girl and Letter Bomb. What? Okay, what? okay, kind of those kind of go together, but like no, but Colin, Colin, I want to listen to Letter Bomb on its own. I know, I know. If I'm in a Letter Bomb mood. I'm not an Extraordinary Girl mood. Letter Bomb should be by itself. At the end of the day, Letter Bomb of all songs should be by itself. Letter Bomb Absolutely. is a beautiful song. It is a ridiculously good song, you know? Like, it could easily be, like, a killer radio track or whatever, you know, by itself. Totally. But, and, yeah. and I'd say, and speaking of killer radio tracks, Holiday slash Boulevard of Broken Dreams, they are both individually killer radio tracks. They are. They are. And we all know that because we've heard, we've we've all heard each one by themselves, right? Yeah. 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 I'm going crazy. I feel like I'm no, taking crazy I know, I know. I know. That is bullshit. And we should, we should fucking... Sue yeah. someone so or some shit. My one like complaint that. is out of love for the album, actually. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I cause I just want it to be preserved as it you know, as I experienced it when it was first released, kind of mm-hmm. in, in its intended mm-hmm. state. I, I'm so glad we got to do this. This this I hope we honored it. I hope I we hope did so. well by yeah. it. And uh, you know, no matter how old I get, this album always seems to have sort of a, a connection to me. To, yeah, there's something to more some to give. It keeps giving. Yeah, it, it just keeps giving. Every yeah. every time I listen to this album, no matter where I'm at in my life, I think uh, there's something, there's some aspect of it that that keeps connecting with me, which is um, it's it's much it's, appreciated. Yeah, it gives you shade in your youth. Gives me shade you, in my youth. You built a swing on it when you're teens, and you will sit on its stump as an old man. Truly is the giving tree. Exactly. Thank you so much for listening to Redundant, the totally mm-hmm. original Green Day podcast. I'm not totally sure what we're going to be back at you with next week, but of course it will be Green Day, and of course it will be golden. <laughs> you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podomatic. Uh, please like, subscribe, review. Mm-hmm. It really helps us out. I'd like to thank everybody. We are number one for the first time on Podomatic for music commentary. So that is huge. That's awesome. I've been vying for that number one spot and you got us there. Let's keep going. You can also check us out on YouTube. That's Redundant Green Day Pod. Those are clips from the show if you want to share or post those. You can also check us out on Twitter. Right, Colin? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You check us out at at Green Day Pod on Twitter. And just keep up on all the the hilarious Green Day related shit that we're doing. Exactly. It's so hilarious. And uh, (laughs) and if you have any thoughts, any... Anything we missed, anything uh, you just want to say, you can write to us on Gmail. That's redundantgreendaypod at gmail.com. That's right. Thank you so much for listening to Redundant, the totally original Green Day podcast. In conclusion, I just got to say, you're not the Jesus of suburbia. The St. Jimmy is a figment of Colin. Your father's rage and your mother's love made me the idiot of America. Try that again, man. You need to have some fire. Ah! All right, all right, all right. Your father's rage and your mother's love made me uh, (laughs) fuck. And it was then I realized Colin couldn't read. Unamas, unamas, unamas. Your father's rage and your mother's love made me the idiot America. Oh, my God. (laughs) I can't do it. Your father's rage and your mother's love. (laughs) 
Many the idiot America. Last one. Last I swear. one. I swear. Your father. <laughs> okay, wait. Your father's rage and your mother's love made me the idiot, idiot America. <laughs> oh my god! Are you kidding Last me? Last one. I swear. I got this one. I swear. Okay. If not, I'm gonna include all of these. <laughs> your father's rage and the mother's love made me the idiot America. <laughs> your father's rage and the mother's love. Your father's rage and the mother. Oh, <laughs> your father's rage and your mother's love made me the idiot America. There and, he is. There he is. That was weak, but I guess it worked. <laughs> that was great. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. These are almost like tongue twisters, these Green Day lyrics. <laughs>